Have you ever felt forgotten? I, I was the youth pastor here and I took a group of students in our church van to the block of orange. We saw a movie together and then walked over to Krispy Kreme Donuts. And then when we were all done, we packed back into the church van and began to head out. Just as we were ready to leave the parking lot, someone from the back seat screamed out, where's Kunky? Uh, Jeff Kunky was a freshman at the time and, and a great kid, but somehow, some way, we had lost him in the mass of people that were gathered together on a Friday night at the block. I, I, I panicked, we, we retraced our steps and I had to do the thing that no, no youth pastor ever wants to do. I had to call his parents and say, I've lost your kid. I called his parents and Barry and Elaine were incredibly graceful. They said, oh, uh, Jeff called us a while ago. He's waiting for you at this spot. We went and picked him up. We brought him. But Where's Kunky became kind of a, a theme call for us on any trip we took uh, from there on out. Uh, before the church van ever left anywhere, we, someone would yell out, where's Kunky? If we had Jeff, we could go. Now, just so you know, Jeff has turned out to be an amazing young man. He's a lawyer. He's well-adjusted. He's a great guy. So be easy on me. Um, my point is this, that sometimes we go through these experiences. We have these experiences where we feel forgotten. Uh, maybe you have felt forgotten by God lately. Uh, maybe you felt like God forgot you when your boss called you in and said, look, right now we, we have to furlough you. We have to uh, lay you off. Maybe you even think back to past events. Uh, maybe you think to uh, situations where you think, uh, God, it doesn't seem like you were there in that situation when our, our family went through crisis or, or when uh, someone was sick. It just felt like we were forgotten. Uh, we've been going through a, a series about when God rewrites your story. And, and today we're gonna think a little bit about what it looks like when we... Uh, Think about feeling forgotten by God. That sometimes we see in the story of God, the people of God seem to be forgotten. And we know how this is. Look, we're in a situation right now where we might even be thinking or feeling that very thing. God, where are you? We feel forgotten by you. As we walk through this story, as we've been thinking through this, we've looked at some key characters, Abraham and Moses and David and last week, Jeremiah. And as we're walking through this story, we're seeing both the creation of God's people. And as we began to see last week, we're seeing uh, God's people begin to break apart. Uh, uh, the, the nation of Israel uh, divided into two kingdoms, the north and the south. The north was eventually conquered and the south went through a, a series of ups and downs, good kings, bad kings, until finally they stopped listening to God and, and a nation, Babylon, came and, and took them. And what we saw last week is sometimes you can feel very forgotten by God. Uh, they enter into a, a time, a season of being held captive. And, and think about it for them. Uh, for them, they were told that God was still with them. As we saw last week, seek me and you will find me. Uh, but you're, you're not going to get out of this situation quickly. 70 years you will be in this situation. I mean, we haven't even been in this situation for 70 days can you imagine what 70 years must have felt like? The 70 years went through and as the 70 years, God was faithful to his promise. God began to send the people back. Uh, we're gonna look at today uh, some of the people that remained, uh, that didn't go back yet. Next week, we'll look at uh, one of the stories of the people going back and God interacting. But, but as people began to go back, there was a group of people who remained. And as those people remained, 
what we begin to see is that there's a powerful lesson uh, in which we see in, in a time of exile, in a time of, of, of chaos, where you can feel very forgotten by God. God can feel very distant. So here's the big idea that we're going to explore together today. Our big idea today is this, that even when God seems distant, he's still at work. Even when God feels like he's far away, even when it feels like God has forgotten you, he is still working. He is still uh, thinking of you. He is still at work. He is still doing the things he needs to do, orchestrating the things that need to happen so that his, his glory, his rule, his reign can continue on. And so today we're going to do something different. Instead of just looking at a, a character in a moment, we're going to, or, or a, a single Bible passage, we, we're going to focus in on one Bible passage, but we're going to think about a whole story, a whole book of the Bible. It's the book of Esther. And, and what's fascinating about this book of the Bible is throughout the whole book of the Bible, God is never mentioned once. And yet that seems to be part of the brilliance of the book. That, that these things that seem to be coincidence or chance or these ironic turns, uh, the author seems to be really indicating that this is really God at work. While it seems that God is distant, he is still at work. And so let me invite you to turn to the book of Esther, chapter four. Uh, we're gonna focus in on verses 12 to 16. And so as you're turning there, let me help set up the story. There's a, it's an amazing story with, with some incredible characters. Uh, let me start by telling you about the king. King Xerxes was the king of Persia. Persia had conquered Babylon and now was uh, ruling over the, the people. He was a, a, a very strange individual. He'd, he'd make very rash decisions. One day he was having a, a big party, a big banquet, and he had all his guests. He'd been drinking a lot and he called his wife in. He wanted to show off her beauty to all of his guests and she refused. And so he banished her. He, he, he basically was not going to allow her ever to really uh, display her beauty or herself again. And so what happens next is his advisors basically uh, advise him to take on a new wife, to have, in essence, a Miss Empire pageant. Uh, this is where we meet the woman, Esther. Uh, we discover she's quite beautiful. She and Mordecai, uh, her cousin who had helped raise her, are, are Jewish. And, and Esther has found the favor of the king's attendants. And, and Mordecai gives her instructions. Do not reveal your ethnicity. Now, it's in this moment, you have to almost tuck that little idea away. It's almost a foreshadowing of things that are to come. And so we tuck away this little detail. We know this about the king that he's moved to these rash decisions. We see that uh, Esther has caught uh, the eye of his attendants and, and perhaps will be this, this person and that uh, she's not going to reveal her ethnicity. That Mordecai is this, this figure that we've got to kind of understand what role he will play in giving guidance. And, and so Esther is ultimately chosen to be the next queen. Now, Mordecai gets to play this interesting role. And one of the roles that uh, we see Mordecai playing is that he discovers there's a plot, an assassination plot against the king. And so Mordecai takes the information, he gives it to Esther, who gives it to the king. Now, we have to tuck this, this idea away because this is going to, again, it's a foreshadowing of things to come. The king's life is saved. 
Mordecai is this hero. Esther has played this role. And, and, and so all these things are starting to develop under the surface. And then we meet this man, Haman. Uh, Haman is the number two uh, in the kingdom. He is the advisor to the king. And this, this power that he has is very important to him. In fact, he has an advisory council of his own. And, and uh, when he enters the room, he expects everyone to bow down to, in essence, worship him. Well, Mordecai is the Jewish representative on the board. And Mordecai as a good Jew will only bow down and will only worship the one true God. And so when Haman enters the room, everyone bows down but Mordecai. And this just infuriates Haman. So much so that he decides not only to have Mordecai killed, but to exterminate, to eliminate all the Jews in the empire. I mean, talk about a huge decision. And so he goes to the king. He, he kind of puts together this plot, this plan. The king in, in some ways is being deceived, in, but he agrees to this. There's a date decided. December 13th is chosen as this date in which all the Jews in the kingdom will be killed, will be exterminated. This is where we start to see uh, the unique way that God is at work. Because what it feels like in this moment is that God is incredibly distant. God, where are you? Here's someone who's standing up for you. Here's someone who's willing to, to honor you in the midst of pressure. And in return, this is what he gets. In return, not only will he die, but all their people will die. It seems like God is distant. It seems like they're forgotten. But what we really begin to see is the unique way that God is actually at work. As, so what Mordecai has to do is he once again reaches out to Esther. He says to Esther that she is going to have to be the one to go before the king to, to uh, protect the Jewish people, to protect uh, uh, their family to protect uh, all the people who will be killed during this time. Now, Esther knows something that to go before the king without his approval, if he doesn't raise his scepter, if he doesn't give his blessing, extend his mercy, uh, then she cannot have audience with him. In fact, it's risking her own life. She could be killed for going in this way. And so she, you can imagine she's a little reluctant at first. And this is where I want us to pick up and I want us to listen to words because I think there's such amazing words for us to think about today. Uh, chapter four, we see the way that Mordecai addresses Esther and, and calls her to act in a moment. And so starting in verse 12, we read this. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai challenges her to consider if God has her in this position 
for this very purpose? Has it been that God has been working in the background, allowing Esther to, to ascend to the position that she's in so that at this moment, she can act. She can stand between the people and this judgment. Now, as we see this, as, as Mordecai calls this for such a time as this, could it be that you are in this position for such a time as this? Again, we might see this as chance or luck. But this is where I think the, the, the scriptures really hint at, at this idea that while he seems distant, God is absolutely still at work. He's doing his work. He is accomplishing his purposes. But, but for this all to work out, uh, Esther knows something. She is going to need God's help and she's going to need strength. And, and so uh, notice what happens next in the passage. It says this, here's her reply. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa, fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Esther called the people, the Jewish people to a three-day fast. Uh, this was a, a moment for her to lean into the strength and power of God and to go three days without food, uh, to, to, to fast. And, and the idea is to fast, to pray, to lean into the power, to lean into the strength, to, to be reliant on God as the one who would ultimately deliver them. It's a call for God's guidance and his power. After three days, Esther goes to the king. Uh, her sense is not to uh, uh, ask for deliverance yet. But as she approaches the king, remember, she has to be shown favor. The king extends her, fa her favor. And as he does that, uh, she invites him. She wants to put on a feast, a banquet for him and for Haman. That Haman would be his distinguished guest. And you have to know this just fills Haman with even more pride and, and, and he's thrilled at this idea. And so they come together, they have this, this, this uh, time to, to dine, to, to, to have a party, to, to a banquet together. And as everything proceeds that night, uh, in Esther's spirit, she senses this is not the right time to ask. And so she requests that they come again the next day and that they do it once more. Again, Haman thinking what favor he's found among Esther and the king. But this is where the whole story takes this interesting twist. It is between these two banquets that we see the most dramatic work happening. Uh, filled with wine and, and uh, uh, party, Haman makes his way home and he sees Mordecai and he's filled with rage. He's filled with such rage that he instructs those who are working for him to, to uh, construct a pole 75 feet tall that he plans the next day to impale Mordecai on. I mean, he's, his anger is at a boiling point. At the same time, between these two banquets, we see this. 
the king who we, it seems to suggest, never had a problem sleeping. Even after all the wine he's had that day, all the food, he can't fall asleep. He has insomnia. And so one of his tenants decides, why don't I read to you from your memoirs? Read about your history. And as he begins to do this, they read about the story of Mordecai. Mordecai rescuing him, saving him from the assassination plot. And the king says to the attendant, I remember the story. I remember Esther telling me about this. What did we ever do? Did we ever honor that man? And the attendant says, no, we never did. Tomorrow, we will honor that man. Two completely different ideas of what's going to happen in Mordecai's life the next day. And so as the day, the next day comes and Haman comes to the king, the king says to, to Haman, Haman, there's someone in my kingdom I want to honor. And Haman thinking, he must be speaking of me. Someone who's done a, a great service to me. And he goes on and on building it up. I want to I honor him. I want to parade for him. I want, to, I want everyone to give him honor. And Haman's thinking, there's no better way for you to show me what I deserve than to do this very thing. And he says, the man is Mordecai. At which point Haman's thinking, I, I'm sorry, excuse me. Who, who did you say? Mordecai. And you will lead him. You will lead the procession. And so imagine what happens on that day, the very day that Haman has planned to kill Mordecai. Instead, he he puts him on a horse. He leads him through all the honor and, and praise that comes to Mordecai. When that's over, they come to the second night of the banquet. The king is there, Esther's there, and Haman's there. He is just wrecked by what has happened this day. His plans have been foiled but it's about to get even a little darker. It's now that when they're in the presence and now that Mordecai has been honored by the king, that Esther reveals, King, I have to tell you about a plan. And she begins to tell about this plan. She reveals her ethnicity, that she is a part of the the Jewish people, that that Haman has come up with a sinister plan and, and called you into it to eliminate my people, which would mean that you would have to kill me as well. And the king responds. He takes the very pole that, that Haman has erected. He, he uh, executes Haman on that, that very pole. She once again, she begs, she falls at the king's mercy and just begs for mercy, begs that the king would, would do everything he can to protect her and protect her people. And the king offers that to, to her. And the Jewish people are able to defend themselves. They're able to to rally and they are delivered. They are protected. They are brought from destruction to life. the, The story is such a powerful story for the Jewish people that still to this day, there is a day that they recall and remember and celebrate God's deliverance. Today, we want to do the same thing. We have a story of deliverance. See, for us, on the last night of Jesus' life, uh, he took bread and a cup, and he broke the bread and he passed the cup, and he said, this bread, this cup, they represent my body and my blood. They represent the sacrifice that I'm about to make. This is my body. This is 
my blood. And this is being done for you. And they ate and they drank and they celebrated that night, not quite understanding what would happen. But for 2,000 years since, we gather around the bread and the cup. We take the bread, we take the cup, and we remember. We remember that someone stepped in our place, someone delivered us, someone rescued us from death unto life. And so in these next moments, what we're gonna do is we're gonna pause in our service. We're going to sing a song. And during this song, we're inviting you to take the elements that you have prepared for communion. And with these elements, we want to encourage you during the song, have a time to pray, to share, to eat and drink. Remember that you too have been delivered, that someone has come to rescue you from sin and from death and from hell, from the powers of this world. You too have been delivered. And so as we sing this next song, when you're ready, eat and drink and remember your deliverance. Let's sing, let's eat, let's drink. It's a story of deliverance, uh, but, but it's also a story that we can find inspiration as to how to live in this moment. Our, our own unique moment where God may feel distant. Here's the first thing I wanna encourage us to consider. Sometimes God leads us right where he wants to use us. Sometimes God places you exactly where you need to be. It may not feel like it, it may not look like it, but sometimes we need to look and, and recognize that perhaps we too are in an Esther moment, that for such a time as this, I'm in this place, I'm in this position, and I need to step into it. And you may be thinking, you don't know me, I'm really not qualified. I would just encourage you to think of the past weeks of this series. Everyone that we've looked at for one reason or another thought that they weren't the right person, gave a reason why they weren't the right person, gave an excuse of why God should pick someone else. And God always said, no, you are the right one. And I've got you right where I want you. So can I just encourage you to think about where you are and what your situations are. And how maybe God has you perfectly set for something he wants to do. Sometimes God leads us right where he wants to use us. But here's the second thing. And what we saw Esther do is this, not only to recognize her position, but to know where her power would come from. And so the second thing I wanna encourage us is this, is that when God wants to use us, we rely on his power. We rely on his power. She called uh, the people together for three days of prayer, of fasting. God seems to have something going on. He has called us as Beach Point. He's called you in the unique places you are, but we have to lean into his power. And so here's what I'm gonna invite you to do, Beach Point. Starting tomorrow, we're gonna have a week of prayer. And you'll see a link that's gonna start coming up on the platform you're watching, or you can go to beachpoint.com. But I'm asking you to sign up for one of those hour slots. And by signing up, we'll send you a guide or we'll send you a link to a video that you can watch. And it will be a guided prayer experience of ways that you can pray for yourself, ways that you can pray for our church, our community, 
our nation, our world. We need to lean in right now to God's power and we need to pray. And I want you to think about what it's gonna be like when hundreds of us pray. What is it that God wants to do? We'll know once we start praying. And so can I encourage you, hit the link, sign up for a time. We'll start tomorrow morning. And so for those early risers, pick an early time. For those of you who stay up later, pick a later time. But we want as many of you as possible, pray as an individual, pray as a family. Uh, pray, sign up for a time to pray. We lean into God's power. Even when God is distant, he is still at work. And so let's close together, singing, celebrating together as families. Let's declare uh, together, that, that Jesus is with us now, just as he promised 2,000 years ago. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And he wants to work through us now in this season. And so let's, let's sing together this last song.